Howdy, howdy, and welcome to my bloody Judy with your final forgets, myself, Zachary Patton Garcia. And Ian Carlos Crawford. Our opening kill is the showrunner of Dolores Roach. Hi there, um, I'm Dara Resnick. I live in LA. I'm a, I think my Instagram says I'm a queer ADHD uh, single mother showrunner who also runs races very slowly. Um, and yeah, I've been out here for, oh my God, I moved out here from New York 20 plus years ago now. And I've had a really weird career that vacillated wildly between, uh, Jane, the Virgin and shooter and I love Dick and <laughs> daredevil and, you know, having a, like a weird dark family show called home before dark on Apple TV plus, and, you know, now just finished running the horror of Dolores Roach. And then I was on strike for five months. So I don't know who I am right now. I'm <laughs> How do you feel coming off people. of that? <laughs> it feels really weird, man. It's like a lot of people, I think a lot of people thought we were all going to get a ton of work done. But it turns out when you take a bunch of introverted writers and you make them pick it with each other for four hours a day, they need the other four hours a day to like unwind and not do anything at all. It's completely so, recharge. Yeah, totally. Completely recharge. It's like a bunch of introverts like being forced into extroversion. Um, so it feels weird, but it feels really good to be able to be back out there. Like I was really sort of orthodox and strict about talking to the press and, and doing podcasts and stuff when the show came out, which was a huge bummer. Like my first show came out the first couple months of the pandemic, no fun parties, no fun press. This came out like the first few months of the writer's strike. So, you know, no fun parties, no fun press. So it's been fun to like get out there and be able to actually talk about this thing that I spent three years doing. So I'm really psyched to be here and be talking to you. We've had a couple author friends that we've had on the podcast who have felt the same way. Like they had a book come out during pandemic and then their second book came out at the end of lockdown. And like, they were like, I didn't really get to do the like fun author stuff. And like- Two friends had their debut novel come out during lockdown and they were just like, man. shout out to Adam Sass. Adam man. Sass, they, we love you. Because he had his first book come out at the beginning and the second one came out while it was still, while we were still in lockdown. And he was just like, man, it's but I went, sad. I told you, I'm like, like a neurotic East coast mom. I went to his like virtual book release and I cried when we had our one-on-one. I was like, I'm so proud of you. And he was just like, thanks. At least like Zoom was still very exciting at that point. You know, True. it was like yes. better than Skype. Um, totally. And now that's that's the only interaction I get these days. So well, we sold the horror of Dolores Roach when no one knew what Zoom was. We sold it the first oh, really? couple weeks of, of the lockdown. And oh. people, we, we pitched it on all these different platforms. And like some people couldn't figure out how to use Zoom. We There were some executives who were using like FaceTime on their phone. <laughs> Um, you know, just like I got to see like some studio heads houses because they could figure out how to use Zoom. And now it's so crazy because now obviously it's literally how we live our entire lives. But that first few weeks was sort yeah. of how did you get involved with this one? Because it was a podcast first, right? Yeah. So it was a podcast. Um, a friend, old friend of mine from back when we were assistants, uh, is the manager of the creator. Um, of the podcast. And she said, I really think you're going to like this. And and my managers thought I was going to like it too. And and I, I really did. I, so I, some strange factoids about me is I, I used to write with my ex-husband who is Latin. And so I, I still end up, even though I don't write with him anymore on a lot of sort of Latin writers lists. So when I, I listened to it and then actually got the interview with Blumhouse, 
I, the first thing I feel like I had to say is like, I just want to make sure everyone is clear that like, I am, I'm Jewish, <laughs> not Latin. I am a very rageful woman who completely relates to Dolores Roach in like every possible way, except like, this is not my neighborhood and not my background. Um, although, you know, my dad grew up in the Bronx, my mom grew up in Queens, like I've watched and I, and I grew up in Midtown, like I've watched neighborhoods gentrify. So yeah. I have a lot to say about that. It just wasn't necessarily my community. Um, but I really got along with the creator and I really loved Blumhouse. I've, you know, I've grown up on horror, which I'm excited to talk to you guys about mm. here as well. And was super excited to try my hand at it. There's very few things, as you can tell from that bizarre resume, like my weird IMDb, there's like not a lot of genres that I haven't had a chance to write. And oh, it's so, really cool. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I was so excited at being able to to do that. I was like, ooh, this is like a hole in my resume. I haven't like been able to fill. Um, and so I started when I was still on Home Before Dark, season two of Home Before Dark was going on. And then I stepped away from that, um, officially like got that, got season two off the ground, came to Dolores Road, helped Aaron um, write the pilot and get like the pitch ready. And it was finally ready to go in like March 7th of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was like a weird debate about like, are we going to wait this thing out? Um, as mostly as, as always in, in Los Angeles, it was me and a bunch of dudes. So, um, all the Jews were like, we'll just wait it out. It'll be fine. Um, and that and was I, me. I was like, April will be fun after April. <laughs> no way. No way. It's been Do three not years. ask. You know, whenever you want to know something terrible is going to happen and like what might befall all of us, just ask a neurotic Jew from the East Coast. So I was like, let me tell you guys something. We are in the middle of a tectonic shift in human civilization, the likes of which nobody alive has ever seen before. You don't even know when you're going to hug your loved ones again. And there's like a silence on the phone and they're like, OK, I guess we'll pitch it now. So um so we pitched it. We sold it to Amazon, who were great partners. And it's, you know, it's funny that you're sort of noticing the, that the pandemic piece of it's coming up, because one of the things I think a lot of people haven't talked about, you know, as the show has come out is how influenced it is by the pandemic, by that sense of being scared of other people, of agoraphobia, of wanting to like live in like your own cocoon of a space of a basement and not emerge to what's outside. It's a, it, it was a really interesting experience to be creating in that time because, you know, I look back at 9-11 happened when I uh, had just moved out here from New York City. And so I wasn't really creating yet. I was sort of, you know, I was fake creating. I was like 22 years old. Um, and still counts, still counts. <laughs> it still counts. But I was, you know, it's you're in that like nascent, like, who am I? What's my voice right. moment yeah. of your career? And um, and it was really interesting then seeing, you know, like 24 came out and Homeland came out, and there are all these shows that are sort of influenced by 9-11. And I wondered when the pandemic happened, what art was gonna come out of that, and then realized I was one of the people who was helping <laughs> create the art that was gonna come out of that. Um, I think Dolores is really steeped in that. I can yeah. see that. And it, it's really interesting that you say that because now that I think about it, a lot of that show feels like it takes place with really <laughs> four very closely closed in walls. Um, and I know a lot of that goes down to like set, you know, you got to figure out where you're going to film and stuff like that. And it's easier to have a controlled space. But like it truly like feels like that, just like you it, described it. 
It feels like that because it was one of the reasons that I think this was the project that kept going through but against all odds. I mean, this is a weird project for Amazon to make, right? Yes, like yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a half hour show about a woman of color, a serial killer whose boyfriend cooks, you know, the people who's coming off one day at a time, by the way, huge shift there. (laughs) It's one of those, like, you're like, this is not like a, Oh sure. That's a slam dunk. It's like, you're going to make what now? And, And I do think that part of the reason that people just kept saying yes at each part of the process to this very strange little show that could was because it felt like it was influenced by what we were all going through. And we were sort of cognizant or certainly I was cognizant of you know, you guys are worried about shooting something in a pandemic. We can keep this really small. Like you don't, you can only, you can test like two actors at a time. We're placing them in one room. We can control the space. Everyone else can be masked. You know, it was still when we shot the pilot, which was in the summer of 2021, we were still very much in like masking COVID times, especially, you know, we were up in Toronto shooting. And so that Toronto was, was locked down still. Mm. Yeah, my one of my friends works like does lighting for TV and film. And he was saying how like like it was like pretty strict, but there would be like people it wouldn't be strict for. But then, you know, right. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And those are not my favorite people that it was it was really I felt lucky that most of the time the people that I was working with all the way through the pandemic, both there and then I did a stint on um, on on Echo um at, oh, cool. at Marvel. yeah um just it's, as a consultant I didn't like write anything um but both of those places pe- people took the protocols very seriously and I really appreciated that yeah. uh, it's funny to think back on that time now now that we're all just sort of mostly back in our lives yeah. strange but with a strange, strange sort of like change to all of us like we've all changed so much and it's these last three years truly have felt like one giant long year and we're about to go into 2024 the fourth year of this and it's going to feel like four years of one very very long year and it's been interesting seeing like kind of what you mentioned um how how art sort of changes because of something like this um it's been interesting seeing how creatives have been able to adapt their way of artistry um with such limited resources and having to like like you said have like two actors in like one little space and you know um it's been it's been interesting to see how everybody's adapted to that or, or setting things out I mean some of what's been really interesting artfully and we didn't do this as much um just because it was it didn't really suit the project but there were some shows that I watched that that shot after like as the pandemic was sort of just beginning to ease and it was a lot of stuff like suddenly there are scenes outside that would normally be inside because that was a little bit safer and that actually yeah. land, made it feel much more expansive and cinematic and shifted the lens on the show and so that it's really been sort of fascinating to watch what's come out of this year. It's and fascinating I think- as like a, a viewer, you know, yeah. like y'all are in it, you're steeped in it. But like as a viewer, we noticed that stuff too, just in a different sort of way. And yeah. it's been really, really interesting. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I am a little, I'm like obsessed with the Florida project, right? So when I heard that Br- Brooklyn Prince was going to be on a show um, home before dark, I obviously went to that. Um, so you did really do, like back to back, like really dark projects, right? So, yeah. um, I'm always Although interested. That was for families. That was fine. It's it's <laughs> it's it's true crime to me is still very very much horror because just yeah. the element of true crime is like that at its core horror. Um, so I'm always really interested in people's influences for that. So, what are your like horror influences 
Oh when my you God. go into darker projects. I mean, it just depends on like what the project is. I mean, weirdly, actually, I mean, it's funny that you that you're saying horror, although I guess it's horror, like, you know, for um, Home Before Dark, it was really Spielberg. It was, you know, it was Poltergeist and, you know, E.T. isn't really horror. It's kind of also family horror, right? You have like a hidden right. alien and a thing. And it I'm, did scare me as a kid. <laughs> I would still say yes. I would still say very much horror. It's sort of in there. You know, it's so funny because my my daughter, I made that show for my daughter. My daughter wow. is a very, wow. she's she's 11 now. She was uh, eight. I guess at the time the show came out and was seven when we sold it and, and started like figuring out how to shoot it. Um, and I had a weird little kid who loved horror movies. I mean, if it had been up to her at seven years old, she would have been watching it with me. <laughs> so like I was showing her like Jaws and I was showing, I, I started with like a uh, nightmare before Christmas. You can see like my house is pretty like Halloween decked Love out. It. Like it's, it's, I mean, everywhere. I don't know if you can see my window says like, keep out. Oh, I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so like that's her favorite thing. Um, so she started with I started her off on like, you know, like kind of basic horror, like the kid, like kid type horror, and then really went down like a Spielbergian rabbit hole with her. She doesn't to right now, she like falls as, at this point, she falls asleep to poltergeist. When I was eleven, <laughs> I thought poltergeist was like super scary. She literally thinks it's like the most I boring. was the kid falling asleep to poltergeist. After <laughs> the first initial watch, you're like very over it and it's all the She's exotic. So stuff. over it. She basically just watches it as like comedy now, but so, and then like, <laughs> Ghostbusters and so like you know, in terms of the influences of Home Before Dark, funny enough, you say true crime, definitely like Broad Church was one of the touchstones in the sense of we were pitching it as like, it's it's as if Steven Spielberg did Broad Church, meaning like it's Broad Church, but families can watch it. Did you guys watch Broad Church? I know what it is, but I haven't watched exactly. it. Oh, I know it's what fantastic. It is, you, if you like if you like true crime, I don't actually think it's technically true crime, but it it is told in that way. And it's about this terrible thing that happens in a small town and all the little characters in the small town who all have something to do with this mystery with this terrible thing that happens at the top. And I won't like ruin anything, but like truly you have to watch it. It's fantastic television. So uh so a lot of Steven Spielberg stuff. Um, but you know, it's a little bit of everything. There was a like with with Dolores Roach, there was some like obscure De Palma that we were watching, um, some of which I can't even remember right now. Uh, there was a, you know, there were moments uh, that were influenced by by Kubrick for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my my daughter and I really enjoyed for this episode rewatching The Shining. Over. I love, I love that your daughter loves this because Zach and I have separate like horror experiences. My parents would like. My mom would have said, no, we're not into horror, but like they would watch like Aliens and Predator and like- That's horror. Yeah. And so, but my mom was like, no, those are like action movies. And I'm like, no, they scared me as a child. Like- Well, Aliens is an action movie, but yes, that's a whole other. Yeah. And like, it's so funny because to them, it's like, no, we didn't watch horror with you as a kid, but I'm like, no, I, that is horror. Totally did. What are you talking um, about? And yeah. it would scare me as a kid, but I would watch it because I, I really liked- I think the more like, cause I'm, as you can tell, I'm a big like fucking nerd. And as a kid, I always like comic books and stuff like Star Trek and like the nerd in me liked the like sci-fi supernatural elements, but I still got scared. And then eventually it just turned into, oh wait, no, I do like this. It doesn't like, if it scares me, that's okay. Um, but I was, it's funny when, when, um, 
we got the email that you wanted to talk about Wendy from The Shining. I had literally just watched The Shining like the day before. That's wild. I, <laughs> I was like, that. well, I'm prepared already. Like, meant I just to be, meant this. to be. Wendy's <laughs> one of like the most interesting ones to talk about too. So I am very excited. Totally. To and what's so wild about that too is, so like I, I got asked about which, which final girls and my daughter, because we love The Shining, is one of the Grady twins for, which by the way, I have a lot of notes on calling them the Grady twins. That's a whole other like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're not, they're twins, but they're not twins, but they're twins. It's fine. Right. <laughs> um, but we rewatched it and she was like literally falling asleep. And I was like, I, I mean, look, I watched a lot of horror growing up, like, but that was because I grew up in basically 80s Manhattan, 80s and 90s Manhattan. There was a weird, a very tiny place that apparently still exists in like a warehouse in Queens. It was called New York Video. It was where like, are we still allowed to say Woody Allen's name? Woody <laughs> Allen used to like get all of his um, movies from there. And there were these like three like video store guys in black t-shirts who, you know, would be like, oh, you like the lighting in that? Or you like this moment in this? Like, how about you try this? And I'm like, I miss those guys. There is no algorithm that is going to guess what I want the same way that those three dudes at a video store who are going to be like, oh, you like Child's Play, but you didn't really like the creepy toy. How about, you know, you try like Nightmare on Elm Street this time instead? Like, to me, that I just feel like there's no replacement for those. Obviously, there's certain things, right? You got to have your limits. You got to have your age groups. You got to all of those things. But like, I think horror is a very good thing for to introduce younger people to because yeah. it's a way to control your own anxiety, your own stress. You are putting yourself into a situation where you're getting to alleviate some of that. You leave it and it's a very controlled thing. And I love that. Um, yeah, I found it wild that she was falling asleep during the show. <laughs> I get it. I understand the long so pace, tense. But, but then, she like the music before. cues are so jarring. <laughs> I mean, she she was to be clear, she's seen it before, so that's part of it. But then she was just like, she was like, "When do we get to the part with Mr. Halloran?" Like, she just she was sort of like, "How long does this take again?" It's the same thing. It's interesting too. I think it's a little bit about how they tell stories now. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I love about those old movies is like. You can take a deep breath. You can take your time getting into it. Like once in a while, you know, like Friday the 13th has, you know, the the kill, the first kill happens early. So you sort of know what to expect. And that's really first couple of kills actually happen pretty early. But like then there's like a nice big breath yeah. where everybody's just sort of enjoying being at camp. Um, and I kind of missed that that was something we were able to do. I mean, it was. Have you seen the new Exorcist? I, I was just about to bring that up. Because we did a very long discussion on that exactly. Yeah. I, on, someone on, else asked me that. Tell me about that. Well, I, I just think we were when we when we covered it for this uh podcast that we we kind of missed from it. Like because I didn't hate it. Ian didn't like it so much, but I didn't hate it. But what I missed from it was in The Exorcist, you have those moments that are so jarring, so chaotic, and then very long stretches of time between yeah. those with like long pieces of dialogue and people just sitting on stairs and just like staring at a wall or whatever um and and it's true like a lot of media nowadays like we we are lacking that and i wonder if it's like attention span or i have no idea what it is it's but about, i mean i think look i can tell you from the perspective of having made dolores roach right we had to fight really i don't want to like do too many spoilers but like as you guys know because you've seen it it we don't get to the first kill for a minute yeah, we there are various places where we tease it. There are moments where you kind of think it might happen. 
we had to fight really hard to wait as long as we did for that. And we had to also add in all those other sort of things in order, which I, which I, by the way, love. I think it was right, just like any horror movie that waits, you want to speak to the genre that right. you're in. But, but you know, the sort of back and forth about it had to do with the studio and the network in particular, being worried that like there's 700 other, remember when these movies first started coming out, you lock people in a theater and they were like one of, you know, X number of movies that were coming out and videos hadn't even, I mean, in 1980, no one had VHS. There right. are very few people had a VHS player. You weren't competing for eyeballs. Now there are six or 700 shows coming out per yeah. year. Plus, if they don't like the six or 700 shows, they can go watch an episode of Friends or, right. or like, you know, the Mary Tyler Moore show or whatever. Like, can you imagine when we were kids, if we'd had that kind of, I was telling my daughter about like how much thought and care when I went to the video store, especially with my friends, right? Everybody had a dollar and you'd go in with your $4 that you got from each of your friends and you'd tell them what you liked about child's play. And then they'd recommend <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. And like that, and that was, you had to be really curated about your experience. She'll watch something and be like, eh, and then change yeah. the channel. Yeah. And when you did go to the video store and picked up one, that's however long your video rental was for. <laughs> you watched that for that duration of the time, over right? Over and, and over. Over and over. Yes. I, there's still there'll still sometimes be a horror movie that I'm like, oh, I've never seen it, but I picked up that like VHS cover at Blockbuster and looked at it a lot. <laughs> totally. <laughs> or, or not a blockbuster at like one of the more obscure. It's funny. I knew what I watched. I was, I'm writing a different horror movie right now that like I'm not ready to talk about. But yeah, I was doing some horror movie research that I hadn't yet done um, and watched I Spit on Your Grave. Oh, I've never I've never seen that. You haven't seen it. Mm -mm. It's I mean, I have so much to say about that movie, but um, <laughs> it's a very, very strange movie. It's worth watching just for the talking points, just okay. to sort of understand like a certain very specific kind of genre. We'll do that one again. We'll make sure right. we do that one. So yeah. speaking of The Shining, okay, so we love doing our Final Girl episodes, right? Okay. I, I just, me and Ian, that's all we talk about. Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Final Girls. Love a Final Girl. Right. Yep. Um, <laughs> so we asked you your two picks, and we have Wendy Torrance and Alice from Nightmare, or not Nightmare, Nightmare um, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. Okay, yeah. I want to start with Wendy because I hope this is, I hope because you've picked her, that this is a huge defense of Wendy campaign. <laughs> it is a defense of Wendy campaign. I, do you want me to do you want me to tell me what my defense of Wendy is? Yes, let's just jump in. How I'm like really looking forward in. to yes. hearing what you say about Wendy. Yeah. So I mean, first of all, let's talk about. I mean, the casting is perfect. What I love yes. about her is she's not a traditional final girl. Yes. By the way, have you read the book? I that, have. Uh, men, men, women, and oh. chainsaws. Oh, the Shining book you're talking about. I haven't read the book. <laughs> have you read Men, Women, and Chainsaws, which is where the final girls comes from? I've I so I thought it was it's. An essay in there, isn't it? Or no? There's that... an essay in there, but the whole book okay. re really speaks to, I mean, this entire genre. It's, if you should, it's worth listening. I have it on, on audio and I have a physical copy of it because okay. it's really, it, it really dives into genre. And one of the things she doesn't really talk about Wendy much. Um, she talks about Psycho a lot, actually. Um, and she, Wendy kind of isn't your traditional final girl. She's, you know, she's not slutty. She's not pretty. She's not really that tomboyish either. She's she's really kind of like your basic down the middle housewife in a yeah. lot of and but one of the things that that book talks a lot about is that horror as a mirror of whatever feminist uh, movement, whatever feminist wave you were in the middle of, you know, when or coming out of when that movie came out. 
I mean, I think that that movie is so informed by women who are realizing that they don't have to be married to mm. a dude. It's, I mean, if you're watching, she and men, she is the, everybody thinks Jack Nicholson's the protagonist of that movie. She's the protagonist of that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Even, even more so than many other final girls. She's the one who changes the most. She starts off as like this sort of simple woman who just like trusts her husband. And by the end of it, She's figuring out how to get that fucking kid <laughs> off of a mountain and drive down. Like she's never driven one of those things before. Snowmobile, like, bathrobe, like just <laughs> yeah. name it. Runny nose. You know? and a bathrobe. I don't even, does she even have the knife at that point? I think the knife is like tossed aside <laughs> and grabbed her kid. And, you know, I mean, I, I really think that it's an incredible, first of all, it's an incredible performance. It's a, it's a gripping performance. It's also oddly a little bit of a queer performance. Like I really, feel like Wendy is going to like leave the mountain and go find a nice woman to live on a commune. <laughs> it turns like into it. like a Hallmark Christmas movie where she like stumbles her snowmobile breaks down and there's a nice like lesbian yeah. woman in a nice cabin with, lesbian a with like a, with, Yeah, with like a nice button <laughs> down and she's helping her and they're like, we're just going to stay here now. Um, I mean, I think she's advocating for her kid the entire time. Yes. Um, you know, she definitely the way that she even bothers to mention to the is it the pediatrician at the top who's examining her kid when she falls when he falls down the way that she even bothers to say, well, you know, there was this thing that happened where my my husband was a little bit abusive to my yeah. kid. That was normal, you guys. Yes. Like, it's horrifying to watch it now. And I, I know in many places it's still typical, unfortunately. But I think, you know, what in the moment that that came out. It was pretty typical for parents to like slap, grab, accidentally really hurt their kid. Yeah. And he gets punished for that at the end by her. It's yeah. because she's like so such a great mama bear. At the end of the day, she finds a strength that she didn't know she had. The, th the part of it that I find so brilliant is there. there's a very straight way to play that. Right. There's a very straight like like, oh, I'm a sort of simple, meek woman who like is being abused by this guy who suddenly I'm really realizing who he is and I'm unmasking him over the course of this horror movie and he's really the monster and oh my God, all right, here we go. Now I'm going to like save my kid. And that's not how it's played. And that's what makes it interesting is that yeah. she's not aware of the journey that she's on while she's on it. She's just trying to survive, but she's on that journey nevertheless. It's, 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 it's brilliant. Like she really is just a character going through the motions at all times, like taking step by step, um, just ends up at this Overlook Hotel because something her husband just comes home and says he's going to do one day. Right. Like she is. I love her because not all final girls need to be written as like a total badass from the jump, right? They don't totally. need, like, sometimes you can't have the representation of the meeker sort of, um, and I hate using those words, but like, you know, just face yeah. value, the meeker sort of um, mm -hmm. more passive characters. Like, Wendy's a very, very passive character. Um, yeah. And she doesn't do a whole lot of upsettling of her own life because it's not called upon yet. But when push comes to shove, that's when she does do it. When we get yeah. introduced to her, like just from you watch it once and you could I could totally see how people just read her as wallpaper, you know, almost. Um, but like her whole journey of standing up to her abuser is is phenomenal. And it's it's something that should be. It definitely is now. Like we can't sit in 2023 and say everybody shits on Wendy Torres and Torrance all that much anymore. But like for a wow. long time. It, people just acted like her. it was it was uh, it was wild to me yeah they hated her they were like what's olive oil doing um, <laughs> and 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 like you know I, I think it's even still 
you know, the, I think a lot of people like us who love the genre and have watched this multiple times and really understand what it is, love her and understand what the journey is. But I think when people think of the movie, they still think of like, oh, it's Jack Nicholson going crazy in a hotel. Yeah. And you're like, he's like a horrible, horrible dude who started a horrible dude yes. and ended a horrible dude. He hasn't changed at all. He's yeah. not the protagonist. We just are, we, we reveal who he is. He doesn't actually go through. He like gets more ambitious it, with his violence. Totally. And, and she, you know, it was really interesting watching it this particular time. I was thinking about what other choices that character kind of has in the moment that she is unveiling who her abuser and her monster really is. And, she at no point says, please, please, please stop doing this, really. I mean, yeah. she says it in the sense of, please don't kill me, please. Right. But like, <laughs> once she realizes, once she like really sees him and is clear-eyed about it, she's basically like, just get the fuck away from me. I mean, she's hysterical because she's just, she's never had to do this before, but she's like, stay, just go away. You know, and this this time when I was watching it too, um, I the thing I realized is so like when Zach and I were we were toying with ideas of like what if we wrote like a horror movie around us I was like you have to be like her first because I am clearly the weaker one so like the weaker one like has to be the last one standing but you know what I mean like it like if the stronger one is like full force the whole time then it doesn't really make sense that like okay you can overpower the person and I I do appreciate that even because that would be me when she's swinging that bat. She's not doing a good job swinging it, but she's like trying, you know what I mean? She is, she's like, I'm going to swing it around and hopefully it hits him because she's not like super strong. She's not, but she's like doing her best. Right. I mean, the one thing I have want my only note, and I was thinking about this this time in preparation for this, I was, I was thinking about, I was like, I totally, this feels viable. The bat feels viable. The knife feels like she's sort of like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like it's great. Also the framing of that shot and the kitchen yeah. where like, there's that row of knives and you're like, it's so good. But um, the way that she runs, I feel like she maybe could have like, mm. I, that feels like a woman who has never run a step. <laughs> I don't know if I, I so I'll, I'll fight you on this one. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have that in my notes, actually. Her, like, physicality is because your your body locks up in situations like this. Like, this is, the, like, a, a completely disorienting experience that I could yeah, see her, like, sure. locking up and maybe trying to just, like, force yeah. her body forward. I get But I, I, I see what you're saying, absolutely. It was um, the one thing. Like, every other thing felt really <laughs> viable. And like you said, like, it... It's something I, you know, I teach on the side and I like to tell my students to to break a story from like a 35,000 foot view. But then once you've sort of broken the, into these buoys, right, here are the set pieces, mm-hmm. the big turns. What's the next logical thing a character would do? The reason that that movie works is because it is the next logical thing that that character. But she has well, to Well, by do that to point, it's, yeah. it's so broken down that it's just Shelley Duvall, like really frustrated and tired. I would love to see those first takes. Maybe she's running correctly <laughs> in the first takes, right? She's like a good she's sprint. Like, pacing, <laughs> yeah. you know, got her breathing <laughs> under control. You know, <laughs> she's like, you know what I haven't watched in a, in a really long time is the making of The Shining. Yeah, which I that's a good one. had wanted to watch and didn't have time to watch before we got on. But like, you know, he I'm very curious how that was directed. I was actually thinking about how like what is it like to be a child working with Stanley Kubrick? Right. Like, I mean, I watched I've watched all those uh, audition tapes of um, young Henry Thomas and Steven Spielberg for E.T. He's trying to make young Henry Thomas cry. And like these days that would so not fly. I mean, you know, when we were working with Brooklyn Prince on Home Before Dark, she cries all the time. But like the way we got there was with like an incredibly coached 
careful, emotional journey with like a child's actor coach named Sam Kwan, who we loved. Like I was like, Stanley, was Stanley Cooper just off camera screaming at this kid? Like, how did he like get that performance? clumps of hair right before a take, <laughs> you know? Like, you know, by the way, do you know what the kid is doing now? I went and looked this up. Wait, what? He is a math teacher in Kentucky or a biology teacher. He's like a math or science teacher. In Imagine if your kid was like, oh, mom, you know my teacher? And it's the kid from The Shining. He plays that. that that's his class movie. They bring the, <laughs> they wheel in the big TV and they put, they put in The Shining. They're like, what's a TV? <laughs> the iPad. The iPad. He brings in the smart board. Um, I, I love, so like with Final Girls, it, you just got to dig into everything about them, right? And so we love a Final Girl look as well. And what I love yeah. about Wendy's Final Girl look is she's always sort of, because again, she's this passive character kind of going through life step by step, but she does seem super armed at all times so her wardrobe is always covered up it's always armor right well she's um, always got overall she's always worn like a coverall yeah. um, she's always like, covered up yes yep. always and it's always like thick layers and i understand it's the cold that makes sense but even even outside not of that, that i feel like that's what she is <laughs> not that cold uh, i feel like that's what she's like bundled up in and what's really um fun about that is like by the end um when she's in the bathrobe that's the most vulnerable she is in the entire yes. movie just like totally. look wise you know and but that's the strongest that she is it also like that's where her fight has like peaked you know you know what's interesting about her too she there is no intimation of sex in that yes. as in terms of a final girl that she actually becomes a final girl without ever losing her virginity have i mean it's almost like the opposite which is that she becomes a final he's like he's so mad at her because she's not having sex with him yeah he doesn't ever say that but it it definitely feels like that is a relatively sexless marriage yes yeah yes yes so that's, absolutely. A, that's another very unusual thing about her that like she's in that bathrobe and there's nothing sexual yeah about it it's, no. it's and you know even under the bathrobe she's like completely bundled up i, still, I was gonna know? say she like still has all her clothes underneath it's not like she's like in her pajamas or like underwear underneath that yeah. i mean maybe there are pajamas but it's like pants right um and a thing that i i mean you mentioned this too is like and you know this isn't a knock at anyone but she doesn't look like your typical she's not like done up she's like she's allowed to be like a little like weirder looking in appearance and i like that and she's not even like your typical, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about, about final girls is that a lot of them are sort of androgynous, right? Who, you know, we're going to talk about Alice in a minute. And a lot yeah. of them have sort of like, I know you guys talked about Ripley, like there's a sort of like, you know, that a man can watch a movie like this and both feel a sense of identity with that character and also feel vulnerable because she's a, a woman. So it's like a hero. It's like an amalgamation of heroes. Yeah. And, you know, that is not Wendy at all. Wendy is Wendy is in some ways like the most. I would maybe just very female. I mean, yeah. I don't. She's she neither incredibly feminine. I would yeah. say yeah. yes. She's and there's no there's no like badassery. Yeah, there there's no like faux. You know, I'm gonna put on like a masculine like coat and like fight now and and you know, you know I, I will say like so. I'm probably looking at me. This isn't surprising. In high school, my favorite movies were like Clockwork Orange and The Shining and Fight Club. Amazing. It was like, I was, I was different. Um, totally. Me too. And like The Shining was like always that and Scream. I would use, it used to be what I named as like my favorite oh, horror movies. Um, and then eventually I did, you know, like you hit late teens, early twenties and you like think you're so like, you're so progressive that you kind of like almost circle back. And like, I definitely had a moment where I was like, well, Wendy's not like badass enough. I don't like her. 
And She's like, not a feminist. Which right. is why I'm surprised <laughs> that you like her so much because you do like a final girl who's like a little bit tougher, a little bit rougher around the edges, like from the get. Maybe not, you know, full full on power yet, but um, well. And it's because she's still, if she were the way she was and she dies that, or like doesn't totally. make it out, then I would absolutely hate her. Then I'd be like, no, I don't like this. But because she can do it is what I like. Um, and like, yeah, she's not my favorite final girl, but that's what I like about her is that she like, you know, you would, she appears weak. She appears like, oh, she's so feminine. She's frail. But then she does get her son the fuck out of there. Um, and that's why I do still like love this movie. And I, I think, Zach, we've talked about this. Like, I do like both the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. I do. I understand why Stephen King hates the movie. I get it, but I still love it. Um, and I think they're both just different. Yeah, they're yeah. different. They're completely different characters down to the they're hair color. Different. You know? And every, like, adaptations are, I mean, look, I say this to someone who just did a horror adaptation. And it was some one of the conversations I had to have with the creator a lot. Is like, we're making a visual adaptation of something that was, you know, made for essentially radio. It's the same for Stephen King. I know that. He's probably like has, I'm sure he has a ranking of like, you know, right. from, from Carrie to Cujo. But like, you know, I, I, it seems crazy to me to look at that movie and not at least find something to love. About. I mean, even yeah. just visuals are. Yes. Yeah. I don't entirely believe him anymore. I think as much time has passed, he's just not telling us just any of it. the parts that he appreciates. He'll That's take that to his grave. Yes. <laughs> I, cause <laughs> I've been meaning to revisit. Did you ever see the TV movie? I've been meaning to revisit that. Oh, but I terrible. Haven't. Awful man. No. I haven't. And when that it sounds came, like a great camp night, though. <laughs> when it came out, I remember, like, loving it. But then I, like, I don't know. I just, it's a very long TV movie. I think it went up on Hulu, like, two years ago. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to revisit this. But, like, uh. I also that feel soulless. I also haven't seen Doctor Sleep, which I really want to see. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. See, I, I love, see a, like, a revisit. And so seeing somebody, like, really perfectly embody like Shelly Duvall without doing parody of Shelly Duvall. It's like, pretty amazing. She she did a great job as as Wendy and she's only in it just like a very a, like a smidge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you read the book? I haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. I it's funny this was the first it's weird that you said that because this was the first time I thought to myself, why haven't I read this book? <laughs> and I just, it was like, you know, there are sometimes it for me, like there were Stephen King books that I read like they were like camp books a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? So I would like read them at camp and then I'd go home and I'd rent the movie. I saw The Shining before I read the book. And so I think I just, it was, you know, even then, like too. you, I was such a Kubrick fan. I was like, there's no version of my brain making up something that's going to look more stunning than yeah. that. Yeah. Like, I mean, even watching it this time, I wanted to like freeze on the celluloid of like him playing with the cars oh, on the it's carpet. So nice. Like it's just and and the way that that scene is framed, where even at the beginning, where um, Jack Nicholson is talking to the guys who run the hotel, and and you know the guys who run the hotel are like, well, has anyone ever told you about what really happened here? And like, I mean, totally. That is some of the tonal choices are fantastic. Yeah, it's perfection. So the idea of like. And by the way, like, I know Kubrick wasn't a good guy. I'm not normally, like, right, right. <laughs> you know, as a woman, I'm not normally the person that's like, you know, this guy was a master and like, you know, all hail the dude. But like, I'm sorry, like his movies are 
it, like inarguably almost perfect. Both can be true. Yes. Right? Both right. can be true. Terrible person um, and a great artist. Yeah. You're talking I don't to- think you even like really need to read this book because you know. I do think the movie is they're two totally different stories. I think one of uh Stephen King's like biggest hang-ups on this is he says that this movie feels like a movie that was made to hurt people. And I completely agree. I th- I do agree with that and I prefer that actually cuz I I go with the darker anyway. Like yeah, sure. you know, the power of love doesn't always land with me and that's very much Stephen King's book. Um Yeah. And so it's just like kind it's of not pick a happy your own, ending. Yeah, pick your own story really. And I think I, this one just works there's better. no happy ending. My only my only only critique of this that I think the book is better at. I don't like Dick Halloran coming in and dying immediately. Like yeah. I think I even if he had to die, I think it should have been like he helps them get out and he dies helping the child or something, but like he dies just walking in the building and I yeah. always thought that was kind of like that. He's a disposable man of color. I mean, it, it was really interesting right. at this particular time. Um, I was really, it's, it's the first time I've watched it probably since the pandemic, which is weird because I watched a lot of horror movies during the pandemic. I wanted like my visual reality to match. Like That's how we started this podcast because we both were like watching horror movies over mm-hmm. Zoom during the pandemic. It's and- crazy. Just like during the pandemic, all I wanted was to watch horror. It was like, I was writing horror and I just wanted to watch horror. I was like, this is the only thing that feels right right now. Yeah. Um, but it was this was the first time that I was really struck by how disposable that character was in a way that was like did I mean in addition to the use of the n-word and all that other stuff which I know is like of a period but still felt really pointless and gross um it was a that was a bummer I agree with you I think at the very least let him be helpful to the kid or help like you know do a have a shining moment with the kid for you Especially yeah. after like the buildup of like a full travel montage, you know, <laughs> it's very strange, strangely placed. But I guess Strange yeah, really right. works with that movie. So it's I guess however you're going to take it. Um, yeah. But OK, so we are going to move on to Alice Hardy. Do you have any final thoughts on Wendy and on Wendy? Um, Justice for Wendy. Justice That's for all. Wendy. Justice for Wendy. Shelley Duvall is a queer icon. I want at least three of those coveralls <laughs> um, and that haircut. <laughs> and release an action figure of Wendy Torrance, please. I would love totally. it on my shelf, yes, please. please. So Zach, Zach is not in his normal office, but he also has a bunch of nerdy shit like I oh, do. Oh, no, 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 no. I do blank normally. walls. This is, I clip my, my <laughs> space it. clean. I have a, uh, can you see my Millennium Falcon back there? That's the only sort of like visual. It's right there. It's, it's oh, there. oh, yes. Very tiny. I love that. My like very small, like nerddom in the background. I have my, my bedroom is <laughs> out of control. It's perfect. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> Okay, Alice, I, from Friday the 13th, the very first part, and a little bit of part two, I guess, right? Um, Adrian King, so fantastic. Have you, did you ever listen to... um, the, the audiobook for the final girl support group that she narrated oh, it's I did it. you should you should okay. it's a really good work that she does okay. um yes very captivating work now I'm not the biggest fan of Friday the 13th or Alice oh, so I, I can't I, well, wait all to of hear your about thoughts this. yes all your well, thoughts I, look, part of the reason I picked her is I just think it's an interesting juxtaposition from the same year those movies came out in the same year one of them That's cost true. about a billion dollars <laughs> um I mean the shining was so expensive uh, and Friday the 13th was made for half a million dollars, which I actually today did the calculation. It's actually closer to like almost $4 million today, which, you know, is like a more sizable amount than you'd think. Cause I've always the headlines watched- fun though, to say, you know, it yeah. like half a million dollars and it made $60 million <laughs> worldwide. Um, I mean, I've always been obsessed with that movie in particular because I grew up going to camp that looked a lot like Crystal Lake. 
Um, and, you know, we would all like all the girls there would like watch our, we were like weirdos in this one bunk who all watched horror movies before and after that. we went to camp and we, we exchanged Stephen King novels. And I think I was one of the first people to listen to the mist because I learned, <laughs> I heard that at, at camp. Um, and so like, I just was always fascinated by sort of the lead. I mean, I swear to God, my camp could have been the camp that they shot that at. Um, and I think why don't I'm confused as to why you don't like her, because to me, she's a very classic. Like, I, I just think it's really an interesting juxtaposition to Wendy, who is not a classic final girl coming out in 1980 after this, like, you know, second wave of feminism where like women are realizing that they don't have to just do what men are telling them to do. And she has these other options and she's realizing the situation that she's in sort of this like parable of what women were coming into. And this other girl who's sort of already there. Right. I mean, she's got this like short haircut and she's sort of living in this like liberated situation with this guy who she's kind of wants to leave at the beginning of the movie. She's like, eh, this isn't going to work out. And he's like, oh, come on, stay. Um, and then she does and she triumphs despite she all of the odds. So I it's I just think that they're interesting juxtapositions coming out in the same year. But I'm curious as to why you hate her so well, much. Well, I love that you, you <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. came to this with such a thoughtful, like, you know, wanting to bring a juxtaposition of, yeah. of, of a couple choices. I do love that. This um, is why you are the showrunner no, and we are the podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> there is no reason. No real, no real like defensible reason why I just like cannot stand her or this movie. It's I think it's not my franchise either. Um, And it because when you do think about it, she is she gets the job done. Like she gets her ass kicked in this movie by Betsy. Like she takes Betsy down, then takes her little breather moment. (sighs) Walks to another <laughs> location and then she comes back and kicks her ass again until like she finally gets her head chopped off. So she earned it. She earned her place in the final girl like sunshine. But from the haircut, I hate the fucking haircut. I hate her. Outfit. Oh, but that haircut I was hate, so classic for that uh, that era. I just just <laughs> and I, and she's not much different than Laurie Strode because this was designed wait, to be wait. a rip. Oh, absolutely. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yes, very, very. She's very Halloween, and she's also a little bit Carrie, but yes. um, which is a which is a whole other. But like, like, but we the haircut is that is very. <laughs> first of all, do you like it better than Shelley Duvall's haircut? No, I love Shelley Duvall's haircut. Do you love her? Okay, so yes, answer, so I don't her, like this. I think there's just something with because I've had to learn to love Adrian King because this was the first thing I saw her in. Basically, okay. the only thing I saw her in for a very long time. Um. And I could just picture, I didn't like the way when she turned her head, it would like shift or it's just like things that make no sense. And I can't really defend it just as something, you know, sometimes there's just a person yet you look at and their face is like just not face. a face you want to see. No, exactly. So That's- wait, to defend <laughs> Zach, you and I are <clears throat> of the same age and Zach is yes. a lot younger than us. So like. I get what you're saying. It's like, yeah, people just had that haircut, and that's how I, I view like, it. And it was a boy haircut too. And well, again, I've seen other movies with people with the haircut, and it does not bother me. It's <laughs> it's, it's it's her stupid Alice. face. It's you Alice. Her dumb face. I um, <laughs> I mean, to me, that haircut was, it, it, and no one else, none of the other women in particular, and none of the men actually in that movie either have that haircut, right? Like that. To me, it's the thing that like first indicates early on that she's going to be your final girl. Mm-hmm. Is that she has that boyish sort of haircut, which a lot of final girls end up having. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, so I have not, I revisited this today and this is the first time in, I don't know how many years I've seen this because like Zach, this is just not really my franchise. Um, I hadn't revisited this movie in 
so long that when it started, I was like, Alice looks a lot different than I remember. Her oh, look. I wish she had been the final girl. <laughs> I truly wish she had been the final girl. I was like, who am I picturing that yeah. this doesn't look like what I thought? And then I was like, oh, that's girl jumps out of a jeep. She, she like she she had fought in her. She could have lived. Well, we were, you know, I was I. We, there was a moment in Dolores Roach. We we ended up pulling back from this, but not only did we burn Luis at the end of mm-hmm. the Dolores Roach originally, we also slit his neck, as in the podcast. We ultimately it's pretty gruesome and we ended up pulling back from that but that i mean as i was re-watching it you know again in preparation for the podcast i love this movie i've watched it a hundred times mm-hmm. like i was thinking about i was like god i loved the way that we slit that guy's neck like, <laughs> just like, and i love and i was so impressed watching it yet again you know the last <laughs> couple of days of like it's this shoestring budget of a movie and you just get to why like Ugh, i do think good. that, that is the that is the thing I will always say is impressive about this movie is yeah. like a tiny, tiny fucking budget. And they like, it doesn't, I think the setting like helps it because it's supposed to be pitch black, right? When she's, I think the shot of her running away where you can see nothing but her cause it's so dark is really cool, but that's probably because they just didn't have other lights, right? Like right. that's probably cause that's they could right. only light her, but it does. Like, I do think that works for a horror movie. I totally agree. I just want to say, though that that other woman you know is not going to be the final girl because she doesn't have that sort of i mean in this genre right this was mm-hmm. like like one of the i wouldn't you know obviously there's texas chainsaw and you know and also nightmare and there's a bunch of other movies that are but this is of a a pantheon of movies yeah. that begat the final girl she is an iconic final girl. I mean, yes. in every possible way, she checks those boxes. And I find her very likable. I mean, I like <laughs> that she's sort of like, I mean, look, maybe it's interesting because it wasn't directed by a woman. It was directed by a dude. Yeah. Um, like, like all these movies were directed by dudes. So like, it's, it's interesting to me that like, I find her so appealing and you guys are sort of like, Bleh. it's, oh, I don't know how you feel about her, Ian. Like, how do you feel about her? I, I don't. I actually didn't realize how much I knew Zach and I have very much talked like eh, Friday the 13th we, isn't really either of our franchise. Um, but I, she's fine for me. Like I don't dislike you the don't, only, you don't the hate only, her. yeah, the only like issue I have with the storytelling with her is what they do with her in two. That like makes me fucking yeah. furious. See, I, what I like about what they do with her in two is it's, it's that sort of thing in the genre of like, Oh, we're going to kill Janet Lee. I mean, they, there's a lot of psycho influences in, mm-hmm. in Friday the 13th. I never noticed that until this watch. Yes. Including the the Pam Voorhees, you know, character, um, obviously. And like killing somebody who you love and expect to survive early on is absolutely like, uh, you know, was what got the success of Psycho. So like that to me really fit with what they've been trying, what they were trying to do. Why don't you like the franchise? Like, what is it about the franchise that bothers you? Like between like rank for me, I'm now I'm curious. I do have favorites in it. Like it's such an extensive fan franchise. franchise. Yes. I do love the final chapter. I think that's fantastic. I love the final girl in that one. Um, I do love two. When we first get Jason, I love Jenny. Yeah, she's Jenny's a cool great. Too. Mm-hmm. Jenny's great. Um, I mean, even Freddy versus Jason, I, I enjoy Freddy versus I love Jason. That. I like hate Nightmare? that movie. You don't like Nightmare? Do you like uh, no uh, Freddy versus Jason? I hate. I hate that. What movie. about the Nightmare franchise? What do you think about the Nightmare franchise? It's, I think I feel similar to this, but I enjoy it more than yes. this. I think Nightmare. I think Nightmare 
is hit or miss, but when it's hit, it's more hit. Mm-hmm. I wonder if some, cause I'm older than both of you. I'm 45. I wonder if some of my love of these movies is just like child of the eighties. It could be nostalgic ties, but also it, your love for this franchise is valid because yeah. it just is who cares. Right. Um, cares? A lot of people it's really don't. Like, I love the Halloween franchise to death. It's got I do some love real bombs in it. You know, a lot of opinions on this latest trilogy, but I love it. Dear oh, I like heart. the latest trilogy. I mm-hmm. went, I was very lucky. I got to go. It was actually the first premiere I got to go to as the pandemic was easing was, uh, was the second to last one. That is cool um, that you got to go. And I got to, fan. And, and got to like, you know, see Jamie Lee Curtis, oh, yeah. you know, oh. we, we got, um, I don't know if you saw the Jamie Lee Curtis winks in, um, the horror of Dolores Roach. Um, we got, we got her for the Broadway marquees. It says like mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis in. Oh, I didn't um, even notice that. And we had to, we had to like get the rights to her name, which we were able to do. Because really? Of- do you, I didn't, I didn't know you had to get rights to names. Oh God. Like, just you like can't, that. No, you can't just be like, yeah, you're not allowed to. And you can't just use like anybody's name either. Like, even if I wanted to put like Ian Crawford in to, you know, like as an homage, They'd have That's to, wild. They'd have mm. to clear that so that we can't, like, you guys can't sue me. It's a whole pain in the ass. That's app. funny. I had heard of that, and I always thought that was, like, a polite thing. Like, you didn't have to, but it was, like, polite. No, 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 no. Capitalism <laughs> doesn't do polite. Capitalism <laughs> does don't sue me. Jamie Lee Curtis <laughs> says, pay me, please. Yes, I would like a little bit of coin. So, so I got to see Jamie Lee Curtis was at that premiere. It was a dress-up premiere. We were all dressed as Sweeney Todd as an homage. Oh, that's to, great. Uh, it was really fun as an homage to uh, our show. Um, and she was dressed as her mother. Yes. Um, I loved that. And, and that was really, really, really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. she, I think she was carrying like a bloody shower curtain behind her. I, I remember seeing that. It's yeah. funny. So when we went through the Halloween franchise, I had only seen like one, two and H2O. But when we started this podcast, but now you we, went all the way through. Uh, but he hates all of them. Like I, so, this is the Halloween franchise to me is is basically Ian hating Ian, me hating the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. He why does do, not like do you it. Hate, okay, now I gotta know. Like, what do you hate? About it? <laughs> do you love I, to hate it, or you do you just hate it? No, I like just hate it. Um, and it's only the middle movies, though. I don't hate the franchise as a whole, but I. Even four. He even hates four, which is I, wild to me. I think Jamie Lloyd is great, though. I do always give her credit as being, okay. it is wild that a child was able to carry a horror franchise at that moment, um, especially when they had so many bad child actors at that time, especially in horror, that were like pretty like heinous. But she is definitely fantastic. I always will give her that credit. I just, I think the movies are bad. I Like those middle movies... That are you fits- not scared? You're not scared. No, no. Um, and like I think Michael Myers is scary. I think he's an imposing guy, but I don't think in those movies he's got the goofy ass mask where it looks different every time. And like it gets it's goofier. Like, I mean, definitely. Yeah. And what I sort of like about the Halloween franchise, we can go back to Jason in a minute, but like <laughs> what I sort of love about the Halloween franchise is that it really, even more than like Freddie and Jason, it really leans into the ridiculousness of Michael surviving these things. Oh, yeah. Like it really, like, I appreciate a movie, like Piranha 3D was one of my favorite movies that came out <laughs> the year that it came out. And the reason <laughs> that I loved it so much was I was I had not in a minute seen a movie that like so deeply knew exactly what it was and just like fucking owned it. I always it. appreciate that. Always appreciate that. Yeah. And it's, it is funny, like what you're saying is like, you, you go into a Friday the 13th movie and you know Jason's 
just gonna die and then he comes back right it's just that you know it but like they really try to convince us from halloween movie to halloween movie that michael is gonna stay dead yeah. and sometimes i believed it as a kid i was like damn they really got is him on it this wood. four or five that he like falls in the well at the oh, end that's the, a good question that's the, like that was four right that's the end of four where he has like shot I don't but remember. then in five, it's Michael revealed Douglas he crawls out into a river. Right. Like, yes, yes, yes. It's, I mean, it's brilliant, you guys. <laughs> it's so much fun to watch. Like, it's, it, I feel similarly about, like, what they've done with Child's Play with the with the TV show. Like, I do. Yeah, we do love the show. Yeah. They took, like, the camp of it and they just leaned straight into it and made it a delight. Um, And that's, I mean, to me, what's interesting about you hating Friday the 13th is, like, I think of those movies, well, although I guess... Halloween is Halloween and Friday the 13th are much more similar tonally yeah. than, than Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Nightmare on Elm yes. Street is, is sort of initially like yes. leaning into Nightmare on Elm Street was an original idea. Friday the 13th was not. It right. was supposed to be Halloween to make the money. But this is the thing, right? It's like even when I hate something, it's not a real hate. I love horror to death that I appreciate Every little facet from horror. So I do appreciate Alice Hardy. I do appreciate the Friday the 13th movies. I appreciate their place in pop culture and the many, many references they've provided throughout the years, right? Um, Alice is, on paper, one of those perfect final girls. She's a perfect Um, one. And so it just makes no sense why I don't like her, but I just don't. My only, I mean, if I was going to, if you were like, come up with one criticism, my only criticism of her is that at the end of the day, she has to kill another woman. Not that that's antithetical to the genre or to being a final girl, but one of the things I really love about final girls generally, and by the way, Ripley does the same thing. Ripley has to, has to kill the, the, the alien mother. So it's, it's not dissimilar, but like, I really like it. Like in Halloween, I like, I like that Lori has to, you know, has to kill a dude. Um, I, I do not love the sort of reveal at the end that, that it's a woman and then, and you're sort of saying, what are you saying? Like that women become middle aged and then they go crazy, but, but may or may not be true from the perspective (laughs) of a 45 year old. No, but talking about your, like you brought it up perfectly about like all of the psycho references and this, this would be Norman Bates's mother coming. Yes. To like yeah. do a full bloodshed. And I kind of enjoy that. I do kind of enjoy that. And I, I enjoy that we get it for this. And then we do like we go completely somewhere else with it from Isn't here. Isn't that on. wild? Uh, yeah. It's pretty wild. I mean, that by the way, that speaks to the fact that this was a pitch that was as you know, as we we all know. This was a movie that came out of how do we make the Halloween franchise that isn't really the Halloween franchise yeah. and this is the version that we're going to do. They hadn't figured out what it was going to be. Yeah. yeah. So they came up with this thing where it was like this kid and he I also don't love what it says about disability, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> All of these things are saying things about disability that like I, I want to like somehow find a way to undo. Um but in any case, I really uh, I really love what they did in the movie in terms of, you know, unmasking that it's a female i don't love that she has to kill a middle-aged woman and i don't love that like then they're clearly trying to figure out what the legend of jason is Mm -hmm. like moving forward as opposed to freddie which felt i mean by the way that's have you watched the making of the nightmare oh yes like the are you talking about the one that's like 10 hours long yes Yes, it's it's pretty long and it's cool um but they you know as opposed to freddie which there definitely was like a vision for Freddie, although ultimately commercialism kind of screwed it over. 
and they ended up hiring five mm -hmm. billion more writers and whatever. There was like a real vision for for Freddie throughout the franchise, as opposed to Jason, where they've kind of constantly been like, um, now he's this guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, for, and Friday the Thirteenth, if it was um pretty much a carbon copy of of Halloween, Halloween wasn't a franchise yet. So like Friday right. the Thirteenth didn't know it could be a franchise yet, and then all of these franchises just started learning, you know, as they went, and yeah. so that kind right. of and I, I understand. Jaws, Jaws yeah. was becoming a franchise. Jaws started the the franchise right around you know 1977 mm -hmm. and then suddenly my daughter asked me recently i haven't showed her jaws 2 or 3d even though Oof. we have the jaws I do love them though see they're bad but like i love them i haven't showed her because i don't know if she's gonna appreciate camp yet yeah well I get that. to jaws the revenge also right like yeah hunts her down to florida you know yeah that's camp camp so <laughs> it's it it's funny that like i I do think that kind of horror is very funny where it starts off like no camp and then it just like Lee because Child's Play does that too, right? The first one doesn't, isn't really, it's like straight up like this doll is a murderer. <laughs> and then if you like watch just that and then the TV show, it's like very weird because it's like so different, but I do love the show. It goes in that yeah. direction. Yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of, you know, we, one of the thing, one of the genres that was a big influence on Dolores was, um, you know, Grand Dame Guignol. And and that that's sort of like those women of the 1940s that were like, you know, ready for my close up and, and all that. There's a little bit of that in Child's Play. There's a couple of those women in Child's Play where, you know. I would say Jennifer Tilly's pretty good at leaning into that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. So I, so I think that there's there's some, but you're absolutely right that like it starts. I actually tried to show my daughter Child's Play recently. Again, going back to like things she finds boring. <laughs> she, she was sort of like, when's the scary part going to happen? <laughs> I'm like, I, the scary part is the camera moving around and you don't see the doll. That's it. That's it right there. I mean, I have to ask her what she last found scary because this kid's getting a little bit hard to scare. <laughs> I feel like I might need to start really showing I mean, her look at the world, you know, we're all living in right now. I, I guess understandable. You yeah. Know? I mean, totally. And I think, by the way, it goes back to the thing you did. You guys read the article, the science. It was, it was in Popular Mechanics, I think, about the science of why we like horror. I'll send it to no. you guys if you have yeah, it. Yeah, send it. Send it. Yeah. Right. And it, it's basically what you were saying. The science is exactly what it sounds like you were hypothesizing, which is like our brains like yeah. to practice. Our brains are thinking about these things all the time anyway. And so if we can actually watch it, they, they didn't, they, they um, cite an experiment that they did with monkeys. You know about this experiment with monkeys? This is fantastic. I feel like there's a lot of experiments with monkeys, yeah, so I believe you're, teach, you're teaching us so much. <laughs> I know we'll put all of the show notes. Like, it's basically like a like a, a monkeys watching horror movies, but not really. They <laughs> they put a box with a poisonous snake in it in in a monkey cage, and they let one monkey like look at it, and the monkey goes like and like closes the box and runs away, and the other monkeys are like. I've seen orangutans do this. It, it might, I guess it might, maybe it's orangutans. It didn't say orangutans in the article, but maybe it was. And then, the, and then each monkey goes and like looks inside, screams, runs back, <laughs> friends, and then everybody keeps looking because everybody wants to experiment with like, how far can I take? What happens when I get this close to my fear? What happens if I get this close to the thing that scares me? And am I going to be okay? And I think, you know, it's been interesting. My daughter is a kid, a child of the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, you know, and a, and a child of like the the school shooter age and a yeah. child a child of climate change. And so she really likes to get close to danger. And I think I think it's cool that like she has that outlet and she has a parent who doesn't mind her doing it as opposed to, you know. I always think that's really cool because, I mean, clearly you're not going to go and show her like 
the devil's rejects right away, right? Like, yeah. let her work up to that. <laughs> she I can see that when she's on. Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a we little. We have our limits, but like you know, it is it is great to expose your children to to horror and to yeah. the it prepares them in a way for the bigger world anyway, right? And to like the fact that there are bad people, there are bad things that happen to good people, you know. Um, and horror explores that you can just you can find any sort of metaphor in horror for anything you ever want to teach your child. Totally. Um, and I I was sort of similar to that growing up. Is like I wasn't scared of a whole lot. I liked to like give myself a thrill or a jump scare or stuff like that. But like nothing really stayed with me and like settled in. Right. Like I was pretty good about letting it be where it was when I, I needed to get up and move on. Um, See, and, and as a kid, I would I would hold on to it for like a month. <laughs> and that was the thing oh, my dad wow. would do is he would take me to horror movies and see horror movies. And, cool. and How old it, were you when he started taking you? I mean, <laughs> my mom gets really mad. I'm not allowed to talk about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw Scream when I was, when that was in theaters and I'm, I was two. Um, and oh, so wow. I know that I was always just – allowed to go to them i remember sort of like the earlier like the ones that i would go to more often um when it would become a pattern when i would see like a trailer on the tv and know that i could tell my dad and we would go was around like 2005 so like amityville horror remake coming out um exorcism of emily rose things like that that i was like able to go to the movies more often what's the funny movie you always say your dad left that you went to see The Devil's Rejects. I made him take me to that, and it was about 15 minutes in, and that was the only movie he ever made me leave. Yes. And so when Halloween, the Rob Zombie one came out, I was like, I have to see this. And when we sat down, I said, now, the man who made this made that. And I won't get up if you try to make me get up. Like 12 years old, I'm like, I will not leave. And so um, Zach kept that mentality. The entire movie, my dad, I could just hear him because I hate I hated like watching movies with him where bad stuff would happen, like sex stuff or any of that, because he would always go, ah, Zachary. <laughs> and so the entire movie, just the, just that. But it's Devil's so Rejects was the only one he he made me leave. My parent, and this is probably says something about like who we are in America. My parents were much more worried about sexual content than they mm-hmm. were about horror content. They, you know, they you know. And this is, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Go ahead. And then this is where they didn't want me to watch Heather's. I think they were really worried I was going to like kill my friends or something. <laughs> so I have a similar, like there's one movie. My parents, both of my parents grew up with strict parents, right? So both of them were like incredibly not strict. And my brother, my brother was a very big goody two shoes and I am the baby. So like they kind of like took that well. He always like did everything. So like Ian will, and I did not, I was not, um, right. I was like, the bratty kid um and yeah and i remember like i never got censored so i would be the kid people would come to my house to watch like horror (laughs) i I would like force my friends to come over and watch it though and like their parents didn't like it but so because i and you made dolores roach so you probably know this a lot of like latinx folks are like incredibly superstitious so my mother and like you know the puerto ricans in my family aren't religious but like you know it's kind of like culturally mixed in right my mother like heard from a distant relative that the craft was about raising the devil and that was the only movie i was ever not allowed to see totally yeah but my latinx friends say that like and and actually my my ex-husband my my daughter's father who's who's latinx like the number of people who've said to me they could watch like slasher films, but if it had to do with the devil, that was yeah. like a real problem. It, yeah. it was really, really, I mean, you know, 
Jews don't worry so much about that. (laughs) It was news to me, but that made sense. So the funny thing that like to bookend that story is, so I moved to New York. I lived there for 10 years. You know, my mom calls me one day because my mom's the one that got me into Buffy. Like my mom really liked anything. My mom really liked horror light. My dad liked like more like actiony horror. My mom liked Buffy where it's like more horror light. Um, She liked things about witches, stuff like that. She calls me. I'm like walking home from the subway one day. She calls me. She's like, Ian, I have to tell you, I saw this movie about these witches. I think you would really love it. It was on TNT. One of them's good. The one of them's from that movie you love, Scream, you know, Nev Campbell. She was like, one of them's really bad. And you had to fight at the end. And I was like, is this the craft which you banned me from seeing in fifth grade? And she was like, that never happened. (laughs) She just straight up was like, that didn't happen. By the way, that's also just childhood. I mean, the number, the way that... It's so like the way I raise my child now where I'm like, oh God, I really made a mistake and I'm so sorry. And let's have, I mean, our parents are just like, they gaslit us. It was just oh, like, yes. that, Even still, I'm, I'm your sorry. Dog away. <laughs> I just, I was the trial kid. My parents had me really young. And so I pretty much got to, they would pick and choose like at random times when they were going to be strict. But for the most part, I just did watch whatever I wanted. Um, and then my siblings were the ones that were like, I was showing them the scary movies and I would get in trouble for showing them like, um, I remember I showed them Final Destination 3 and they both immediately, as soon as my mom got home, Zachary's showing up a booby movie, you know, <laughs> things like that. And I would get in trouble for that. But then I'd be oh like, but God. mother, you're like <laughs> buying me this copy. Of, I have the DVD here. I didn't I didn't have money to buy this, you know, like <laughs> so if your first movie was screen. So because like I was like 18 by the time, by the way, I remember it. Yeah, I, I was. Got- yeah. Yeah, so I got to meet Wes Craven. That was another cool thing. A friend of mine from college um, was working for him as a PA right after he graduated Tufts and I was still there, but we were both in New York for the summer working at various entertainment companies. He was working for him on Music of the Heart, which was like the one not horror movie that he made with Meryl Streep. Like, yeah. and she's like teaching a bunch of kids how to play music, I guess. Um, and I got invited to his birthday party and the, it, the I really actually have to like props to Wes Craven. I had a big crush on this particular friend at the time. And like, we were, we were just like buds and he wasn't, I was like the final girl. He like wasn't seeing me that <laughs> way. Yeah, like a tomboy. And, um, and I don't know if we can say tomboy anymore, but that's how I identify. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and apparently Wes Craven was like, she's cute. You should go for that. Um, so I got to hook up with my friend thanks to Wes Craven. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I love, I love, I love any story I hear about him. I never hear a terrible story about Wes. Totally, Craven. he's apparently like the. I mean, he was lovely that night, but I every single story you hear is that he is like a like a really nice person and a giver. I was talking with my friend. I'm staying with him in um, New York City right now, and uh, this is his apartment. And I was talking to him about. Wes Craven and um, what he would think of these new Scream movies and if he would like them or not. And I said, well, if he didn't like them, he seems like such a nice guy anyway that he wouldn't have said a bad thing about it, you know? Totally. He would have been graceful. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like, you know, Zach and I, I don't know if you've encountered this. There are a lot of, and Scream is my favorite franchise. I say this as it is my favorite, That's but like same. people will online be like, no, Wes Craven would have hated this. Wes Craven. And I'm like, no, he wouldn't have. Like, and I, you're right. He just would have been nice about it. He wouldn't, he would have been like, yeah, that's great. He would have been fine. I mean, the, the, also, by the way, I will say in defense of other franchises, what Scream had going for it was an entire like litany and genre yeah. and pantheon and oeuvre to draw from in order to be clever and meta. You can't you couldn't have done that really yes. so early on in the genre and like, you know, the 70s and 80s because it wasn't what it is. 
now. I, Which is so, so also even more meta, sorry not to cut you off, Ian, but that he himself contributed to. Yes. Yes. It was, I mean, that was actually the thing that blew my mind the most when I saw that movie. I was right, like, I was sort of like a nascent, like, I think this is like film is what I want to do right around when I saw Scream. Um, oh, another fun fact. The Scream in Scream was done by my friend Alice Brooks, who is a DP. Um, she just shot uh, Wicked for John Chu, and she shot In the Heights, and she shot Tick, Tick, Boom, and she shot uh, my short film in um, in grad school and also Home Before Dark for Apple, the, the episodes that John directed. And she was the scream. It would be my ringtone. If that were my scream, like, it would be my The scream they use when, like, the like, knife does. Yeah, like every time you hear the scream, that's Alice in a booth screaming. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. I have like very weird relationships to some of these. You know, the it's it's the career that you get get to have. Right. I uh, the, doing like these podcasts like has been cool. Like connecting the dots. Like I started. I have a Buffy podcast called Slayer Fest ninety eight that Zachary also oh. co hosts sometimes, and the costume designer from Buffy was also the costume designer on Scream. And I had had her on for Buffy and then was like, wait a minute. She also, so when we were covering Scream for the 20th anniversary. listening to her. She could have just gone on and on yes. and on. And like, I found that so like fun to listen I mean, to her talk she about. She talented as hell. Yeah. Those are some great franchises. Yes. Right. Yeah. And like, she came on and she was like, oh, the necklace I'm wearing is the necklace Gail Weathers wears at her opening scene. I just happened to have it. And she was like wearing it. And we're both like, <gasps> We just and have questions is, like, where is Casey Becker's outfit? Yeah. She says, my closet. I'm like, great, <laughs> fantastic. That's and, uh, so fucking amazing. The, like, Zach didn't even remember this, but I brought this up because the biggest compliment I've ever gotten about the way I dress is she said, the two of you have a very good sense of style for, like, characters. She was like, you both, Love like, it. show who you are and how you dress. And I was like, <gasps> I'm taking this You're compliment to my for that. <laughs> My t-shirt my, and jeans from Walmart, you know, <laughs> very easy to do. <laughs> my my one and my only connection to the movies that I picked to chat to chat with you guys about today was um, Kevin Bacon, who I worked with on I Love Dick, which was a very strange, lovely series on Amazon um, that is not in the horror genre at all. It's like a like a feminist Joe Joey Soloway love letter. I think um, it's awesome how like eclectic your resume is. That is so cool. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad that you feel that way. My my representatives are often like, "What are we selling you as? <laughs> what do you do?" Um, but you know, it's it is fun to work in all of these genres, and it was fun to to when I was rewatching Friday the Thirteenth. I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm one degree separated from Kat." I have like this one. There was a call sheet that came out where Kevin Bacon and I were both co-EPs on I Love Dick. And it says, Dara Resnick, Kevin Bacon. I sent it to all my cinephile friends. <laughs> I was like, I win. I win, <laughs> I win six degrees of Kevin Bacon from now until forever. We're never playing again. <laughs> I love that. I mean, you're in the industry and it's, it's fun that you still get like, you know, giddy over things like that. Oh, totally. I don't think, look, I, I think you have to always find that because, you know, we just came off of a five month strike. Um, People who we were working for were saying vile things in the press about losing our houses and right. you know, we're just lucky to have long-term employment. And and I think, you know, it'd be very easy at that point to sort of go, well, I guess this is just a job like any other job. I don't mm -hmm. think that you can do this well without that deep and abiding love 
for film, for the form, for horror, for getting excited that like your favorite director or actor or person or costume designer is like standing right there and that you get to collaborate with them. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's the thing that, that keeps you going in a, in a business that Uh, ultimately is capitalism. I love it. I love it so much. I want to give Alice a little bit of like a send off here because I feel like we just breezed through it. I kind of just shit on her a little bit, but like I fully give her her flowers. Adrian King, you have my heart. I I do love her. <laughs> I'll um, let her know. If you could, uh, let's oh. say we're can we're if you could do anything with Alice specifically as a character, oh. as a filmmaker, as a writer, what wh- where would you where would you drop her? You could drop her in any franchise. You could give her another Friday movie. You could By the way, completely ignore that she died. You know, wouldn't it anything. be great to put her in Halloween? Just to like sure. see her, like, yeah. or have her face off. Like, that would be fantastic. Like, I, two final Halloween girls. Grady Hendrix's final uh, final girl support group, like, Zach and I were both very excited. You have about to that listen book. to I, it. You truly should listen okay. to it. Okay. And okay. it's like, it's basically a book where it's like, oh, what if all the final girls existed in the same universe and they all kind of knew each other? And like, I always love that idea, right? Like, yes, give me a movie that has a bunch of horror icons. Like, okay, maybe they don't all survive, but like, it's just like full of like horror icons, right? Like I always totally. think that would be so fun. Totally. And if and frankly, if I could have done anything, like look, I stand by the choice that they made to kill her early in in two. I like that. I just think that was like a fun, surprising choice. I remember like as a kid watching that movie and being like, oh my God, like cool. Um, but like, you know, now knowing what I know now as a storyteller and the way that I like to fuck with audience, I mean, you know, some of what was really fun about trying my hand at it for Dolores Roach was like, you know, those moments that like, oh, is this going to be when she kills someone? Is this going to be when she kills someone? Like, oh shit, you didn't see that coming. I would have kept her alive longer. Mm -hmm. Like, and then eventually have her die in some spectacular, you know, I Freddy think that was a huge yeah. problem I did have with the franchises that we are. We never got to really stay with our final girls. And I yeah. understand it wasn't really a franchise built. It was a franchise built on final girls, but a franchise that didn't. No, it was I a felt I didn't. Yeah. I felt like it didn't care enough about its final girls. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't know it was a franchise. Yeah, yeah. it goes back to like, like Jaws didn't know what it was. The, you know, these movies didn't yet really know what they were. They were experiments. I mean, there are times where I really feel, I, look, I'm very grateful to be a queer middle-aged female working in a time where there are jobs for me yeah. because I think yeah. there are other eras where like I would have been laughed out of town for trying to have a job. But there are other times where I'm sort of like, oh my God, I would have loved to have made movies in like the 80s and 90s and, and even the 70s when like, they kind of knew what they were doing. They kind of knew there was like a gold mine in it, but really they were just sort of like, I don't know, give me a million dollars and let me see if <laughs> yeah. Terminator. Like, <laughs> you know, that there there was something about these movies were were cast aside. These it's, was, it's this- really, yeah, it's really interesting seeing sort of like, it's, it's almost like humans gaining consciousness, right? And like <laughs> yeah. watching the trail of horror movies, like gain awareness. Yes. It's, it's super fun. Totally. It was, it was a, if, if, by the way, totally worth reading Men, Women, and Chainsaws. She talks a lot about, Absolutely. How, I'm going to. you know, how those, those movies, she ended up watching them as a dare. The woman who, who created the term final girls, I'll sort of leave you with this, um, was a professor of Scandinavian studies. She had like a PhD from Stanford in Scandinavian studies and was like an academic, like a serious academic. And someone essentially on a dare was like, I dare you to watch some of these dumb horror movies. And she got obsessed. 
this person who had a PhD in this like incredible mythology, who was one of like the most respected academics globally, ended up making the, her real career on watching horror movies and oh, pointing to terms. I'm obsessed with that. I love and, that so much. And, and she talks a lot about mythology and what she calls low mythology, which is like the mythology that we can all relate to um, and, and how important horror movies are. Yes. I love that. I love Absolutely. That. Oh, and I love somebody who gets the importance of horror movies. Yeah. So next project you have, we'll have to have you come back and do some more Final Girls. I would love yes, that. I've been, I love all your takes. I love that you are so knowledgeable about it. Because sometimes no, you have people out who are just like, stuff. you know. And if you yeah. need podcasters to die in one of your horror movies, you got us. <laughs> oh, my God. Season two of Dolores Roach. I know. I charge for my name. Don't put my name on the billboard. Um, all right. Well, we thank you so much for coming on. I want you to promote everything. I want yes. you to. This is your chance. This is you. Just shoot it all out there. Right now. I'm honestly, I wish I had something to promote other than I want everyone to discover Dolores if they haven't seen it yet. I mean, it did it's really great. well. Number two on Amazon for oh, a while. Good. good. But I hope that like it has legs and and we you know get our official second season pickup. I think that would be really awesome. And you know I'm just excited to like be back out there and talking about it. I, you know I I have I have been on strike, so I haven't yeah. been working on anything to really promote. Just watch Dolores, man. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> there's quite a few um, YouTubers um, who've done think pieces on Dolores Roach, and those are really oh, fun cool. to watch after you've seen the series. Okay. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I've seen it. So yeah. I should probably watch those. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> we'll, watch we'll, send, we'll send know. some over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you. we thank you guys so much for watching. Also, what's your social? Do you have social you want to promote? Yeah, also? I'm okay. I'm just at Dara Resnick at Instagram. Um, and then I'm at badass mom writer on Twitter or X. I I don't know that I'm checking Twitter that much these days. That's fair. Seems to feel a little bit more like I've got one foot out the door. Yeah, it's right. I mean, I don't know how to write the horror movie about Twitter, but it feels like it's imminent. As Uh, as the one who does our social media, I am still on there, and it is not worth it. (laughs) Right, it's like a weird place now. But so I, I, if anybody wants to reach out to me there, I check once in a while, and I'm on I'm on Instagram at my name. Cool, cool, perfect. Uh, Love to interact with people. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Let us know your thoughts about the final girls we talked about today, Wendy Torrance and Alice Hardy. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thanks, guys.